0: In a world of marvel, sparkling vampires, and sisterhoods of traveling pants, one movie stands above them all. There is no rival, there is no equal, there is only Son of oh My God, Zilla. Your You're listening to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast.
1: Yeah, well, welcome back to the Keju Apostle (laughs) podcast, a deep dive into Toho's rich history of monster films and discovering what lies beneath the surface. I am Chris, not son of Godzilla, and I'm joined by the astonishing David, who, are you son
0: of Godzilla? No, I'm son of Dave and Barbara. Oh, man, it's cute. (laughs) Oh, I had to do that for you, man, because we've been (laughs) building up... (laughs) To this episode for a while now. And then I have to sit here silently. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this though. We, uh, I mean, you've referenced Minya almost every single episode, I think, up to this point. Pretty close at least. I finally can meet him now. Yeah, I know. There's
1: like, there's like three things that have to happen for me to have a complete podcast. It's
0: Minya, shipping, and mentioning Godzilla 98. Okay. I know we'll at least have two of those, so we'll Uh figure out how to shoehorn in the third. (laughs) So before we get into the plot summary, uh, I had a few corrections I wanted to make with the last episode, and that's from my lack of uh, thorough research. Um, So the first one is, you know, how we had talked about King Kong not being used in Ebra, and I had mentioned it had to do with rights. I was actually thinking a little bit further ahead. We'll see a movie that King Kong was going to be in but he was not allowed to be because of rights. What happened in this instance is Shinichi Sakazawa had submitted a script to Rankin Bass, but they rejected it. So then at that point, Toho scrapped it, and, well, I guess they didn't scrap it, they put Godzilla in. Um, But we'll see down the road, Toho and Rankin Bass were able to come together to make a movie. Also, I had mentioned that uh, Tsuburaya had received like uh, honorable credits for special effects in Ebra, um, but he didn't actually do the work. That was uh Sadamasa Arikawa. Um, so he did the special effects for this film, um, being Son of Godzilla and Ebra as well. But obviously Subarai was just so influential in all of this that they gave him his honorable mention because of that. So
1: nice place to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we are discussing, I think this is probably the quickest we've ever got into a movie, um, and we're just so excited. No world events to talk about. <laughs> no, none at all. None at all. Um, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and uh, jump right in, discussing the 1967 film Son of Godzilla.
1: So the year is 1967, I think and the united nations has sent a team of scientists to sulgill island to figure out the problem of world hunger by developing a weather changing device you know as one does mm-hmm. after weeks of preparation they're almost ready for their first test but not before reporter Goromaki maki parachutes onto the island with a nose for the hottest scoop he's welcomed into the crew not knowing he will witness the story of a lifetime well unless you live in this world and this story of Many, many lifetimes. Uh, This machine ends up malfunctioning, causing the local giant praying mantis to grow hundreds of feet tall. You know, not to mention the eventual presence of Godzilla when he's drawn to the cry of a baby Godzilla. And, well, that's what we think he is. So we'll just call him Minia. The team also ends up discovering Seiko, a woman who has spent the past few decades on the island. And just barely managed to not die because of the scientist's lack of thorough surveying. Between the Kamakuras, a giant spider named Kamonga, and Godzilla and Minya, our crew have had their hands full. But after a series of shenanigans and a finally successful attempt, they managed to leave the island. Leaving behind the new father and his son freezing to death. <laughs> Yikes. You know, kind of a dick move there, right?
0: Yeah, just he got a little a bit. And
1: now he's freezing to death. It's like the end of Titanic.
0: Right. Yeah, there's (laughs) definitely room for uh, more than one person on there. So staff-wise, I just, first of all, I want to actually give a shout-out to Wikizilla. Um, Obviously, there's multiple people involved on that site, but just the amount of work that they put into, you know, keeping everything updated, um, we're constantly relying on them for staff and cast because IMDB, I just I don't know. I just can't trust them. So this movie is directed by the Ryan Johnson of Godzilla films, uh, June Fukuda. Um, it was written by Shinichi Sekizawa and Kazuo Kiba. So it was actually the first female writer on a Godzilla oh. film. So that was interesting. Um, producer was Tomoyuki Tanaka. Surprise. Uh, music was Masaru Sato. Uh, cinematography was Kazuo Yamada. And special effects, as we had mentioned, was Arikawa. Now the cast... I feel like this is one of like, so far, probably the, I'm trying to think of the right word. There's more recognizable faces in this film, I feel like, than almost any other that we've had so far. And granted, sure. yeah. we've watched multiple films, but like they've, you know, Fukuda managed to get like some of the best of the best in this movie. Um, so we have uh, Tadao Takashima as Dr. Uh, Kasumi, uh, Babari Maeda as Psycho. Um, Akira Kubo as Goromaki, and then Akihiko Harada as Fujisaki, not a doctor. Uh, Kenji Sahara is Morio, and then Yoshio Tsuchiya uh, is Furukawa, and then Yasuhiko Saijo as Suzuki, so he is a uh, Ipe from Ultra Q. And then Kinichiro Maruyama as Ozawa, and then uh, Saishiro Kuno as Tashiro. I Included them because they're in the main cast, but I don't think we've really seen them in a prominent role before um, And then in the beginning of the film we see a uh, Susumo Kurobe as the plane captain He also plays Hayata in the original Ultraman and then um, For the actual monsters we get a uh, C.G. Onaka and Hiroshi Sakita as Godzilla um, But Haru Nakajima does Godzilla for the water scenes and what's interesting so this is the first film that I'm aware of that we have three different people playing Godzilla in one film. So Onaka started out playing Godzilla, but he ended up hurting himself. So that's when Sakita took over. Okay, and then lastly, we have uh, Masao Fukazawa as Minya. Um, I believe uh, Little Man Machan is what he was referred to. I believe he was like a professional wrestler, if I remember right. A lot of professional wrestlers in these movies. I know, right? So I could be wrong there. I'm sure I'll have to correct myself if I am. Um, really the only piece of trivia here, so going into Collat's book, he kind of waxes poetically about or the original sin and science and all this stuff, but he doesn't really get into much trivia here. And then obviously the uh, Shiro Honda biography, you're not going to get much into a Fukuda film. But on Wikizilla, what I didn't realize is, you know, we're talking about dick moves at the end of the movie, um apparently there was a scene shot, but it was cut where Godzilla leaves Minya behind on the island as it's freezing, but then he turns around and embraces him there at the end. Oh. Yeah. I was like, I'm kinda glad they cut that. I mean, I don't know. Like I get the idea, but that that uh would have been a little jarring, I feel like. Yeah.
1: After the whole movie I mean, like, oh yay, they reconnected, but yeah, that is weird.
0: Yeah. So, poll, I will I'm still laughing at the fact that we this this poll has had the most votes out of any poll that we've done so far. Um, so the question was where did Minya come from? So, we had four options. One was another Godzilla, which got 29.7% of the votes. Uh Toho's basement, which got 29% of the Ouch. votes. A surprising 9% of votes went to Mothra plus Godzilla, which I was very Uh surprised by. I thought we had more uh, trolling fans than that. He has
1: his mother's wings. Mm
0: -hmm. And then 32.4% of the votes went to the deepest pits of hell. (sighs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I will say we had someone uh, insinuate that um, Dio from the previous film and Godzilla got it on and... uh, Mm. Yeah, I'm still kind of weighing out whether I should block that person or not. So, <laughs> let's That's get like into a the
1: brevi of distressing
0: images. I know, I know. It's mm, yeah. So, as we do for each episode, we try to have a conversation going about the movie itself, right? So, for Son of Godzilla, um, it seems like Ebro received a lot of positive responses. But Son of Godzilla is almost continually more divisive, right? Mm. So most of the critiques I've seen about this movie have been directed at Minya. So my question was, is that fair? Unfair? You tell us. And really the consensus that I got was that most people don't hate Minya, but they're not a fan of him. But we did get a lot of really good comments of just like... um, you know, uh, Faye, for example, said it's unfair. Uh, the movie solely judged, in my opinion, over Minya's design, and that's it. The plot is good, the characters are fun, and it has some of the best effects. So Eric Schuster says, uh, Son of Godzilla has some of the most impressive visual effects in the series, one of the most genuinely touching endings with father and son embracing as their world freezes over. People make fun of the Godzilla design in this one, but it embodies tired dad pretty well. Also, <laughs> Minya is cute, and he's super strong. And he killed, edited out for not spoiling Chris's viewing experience later on. Thanks. Um, Yeah, I want to make sure to do that. Giant Monster BS actually said, Unfair. Kids used to throw nails at me when I rode my bike in the driveway. One day they were hurling nails my way and Minya walked up holding a baseball bat. He told me to go inside for (laughs) 10 minutes. Ever (laughs) since that day, those kids have disappeared from the face of the earth. Um, Yeah, still processing that one. But... I will say, you know, we had a lot of people come to Son of Godzilla's defense, but there is one comment that stood out to me the most. Mm. It was Son of Godzilla is my least favorite by far. Every movie, every Godzilla movie isn't a home run, but this was like getting pegged in the face and they don't even allow you to get on base because you're knocked out cold for an hour and a half. Oh wow.
1: (laughs) So this really is the this really is the last Jedi of Godzilla.
0: Yeah, and that's and that was kind of what we were talking about yesterday. Where when I make a comment of Ryan Johnson, it's not that Fukuda wanted to go back to the spirit or you know wanted to deconstruct Godzilla. I mean, Fukuda very clearly did not enjoy doing these. But it's it is a very divisive movie for sure. Um, in some ways, I feel like it'll be more divisive than when we discuss Godzilla's Revenge um, or All Monsters Attack. But Chris, I mean. Like I said, this is the movie you'd been looking forward to for so long. So did it meet your expectations? Did you find yourself under overwhelmed? Were you just whelmed? Like, tell us just dish, man. Dish.
1: Well, I mean, we all know my exist my existence is based on memes. My mm-hmm. personality is memes. So of course I had to be looking forward to this. But I think um I think while watching it. I realized I wasn't the main target. Mm-hmm. I, so I can't say that I was like, oh, actually this really is a masterpiece, but I I, I could say like, <sighs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer your question, but hopefully that I'll get back to it for a minute. Like, you know, you know, they talk about going from return, of the Jedi to Phantom Menace, the audience has grown 16 years. And they're expecting a movie that grew with them, but instead they're searching back to the beginning mm-hmm. right, for like new kids. And so the adults are bummed, but the kids like it. Um and so like that sixteen-year gap creates that expectation gap that makes you like super bummed when a movie like this comes out. I feel like I wasn't really disappointed because we had just watched a we just watched Ebra two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So like I don't have this big long build up to expect what the next movie is going to be. So I think watching this 40 years later, almost 50, 50 years later, actually I can do math, like <laughs> help me enjoy it better. Um, like I'm thinking of like when scrappy Doo comes out in Scooby, like there's been so much Scooby content that like, you can just watch something else if you don't like the kid themed mm-hmm. one. But I would rather see like an actual child Kaiju be like the childish jokes and kind of the one who brings down the tone instead of like having uh, Godzilla do the TikTok dance. You know what I mean?
0: I think so. Because, I I mean, I'm just going to nod and pretend like I know what the TikTok dance is. So
1: I would perform it for you, but on this uh, auditory visual experience of a podcast, I think it would be lost
0: on our audience. So you're going to deny me the pleasure of seeing it. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you'll have okay. to follow me on my new TikTok account. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say if you were watching these movies at the time, you know, you're going from Invasion of Astro Monster to Ebra. I mean, there's a very clear change in tone and direction. And then going into Son of Godzilla, like I've seen a lot of people say, you know, this movie is marketed towards kids, but you could argue that the movies had progressively already been doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is definitely a much different film than Invasion of Astro Monster or Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster. So I think you're right. I mean, if you don't like this film now, well, there's thirty other films you could watch, right? But then, well, if you wanted to watch the newest Godzilla film, you'd need to get your butt in the sea and watch it. Yeah. Well,
1: we can't watch we can't get our butt in the film to watch the newest one. <laughs> no. We probably never will. Yeah, at this rate. Yeah, but I, there's something, I don't know. I, we've talked at length how I'm a bad franchise fan. We've yes. talked at length how I'm a bad movie fan. Yes. But I think any franchise that gets like more than three movies really needs like their weird one-off movie. Everything needs, it's like little strange, like what were they thinking? And so for that, I really appreciate Minya. I think he's, he's like that fun little, uh, that fun little ounce of weird that any long running franchise really needs.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and really i feel like though you know you could say the same for kids but i think there's probably something about like if you grew up watching the first couple and now godzilla's becoming a parent at the same time you are i wonder if there was something there for like new fathers who might have been seeing something in this movie
0: yeah yeah and so that's the thing and we'll get into that but like This is a much deeper film than I think Ebra was. And I think even, you know, in my opinion, I think there's more to discuss here than even like War of the Gargantuas, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily intentional, but as we've already discussed, that's not always the case, right? I mean, you could create, once you kind of release art into the world, it's up to the viewers or the readers to do what they want with it. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what frustrates me sometimes about George Lucas is like he always he always wanted to edit and change his movies. But it's like once it's out there, it's out there, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. And now that's I think that's also part of the reason why so many people are so upset with the changes that we see because, you know, you have the end of Return of the Jedi and people had taken that movie and created their own stories with it. And now all of a sudden you have these movies that come in and, you know, change that or you had, you know disney and lucasfilm take these old novels and pretty much erase them so of course people are going to be upset um so yeah i mean i i agree with you i think this was a very needed change um i don't know why it came to mind but i was thinking of john 3 8 where you know the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit not that like june fakuda is the holy spirit but like he was just making this movie and the, the franchise is so much bigger than just one person, mm-hmm. right? So it's doing these changes and either you can go with it or you're not, but I don't think the changes are necessarily bad. Um, I don't think, honestly, before I started this project and getting back into the films, you know, I, I actually viewed these movies negatively because, you know, I had this perception that, you know, the show of films were campy, they weren't serious. Like I said, you know, we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, So overall, though, you felt like you enjoyed it for what it was.
1: Yeah, I think for what it was, it was pretty good. And I think there's I'd really honestly think you talk about Lucas doing the special editions. I would rather just see franchises deal with their own messy legacy. Mm, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Like, uh, hopefully that'd be the end of it but I would rather see franchises deal with their legacy as it is rather than mm-hmm. retconning. Yeah. So I don't know if the answer is after King Kong, King Kong versus Godzilla allegedly comes out. If the next one is like an updated Godzilla in Minya movie, where it's just kind of like, I, you know, updated graphics, whatever the kids are talking about these days. But like, just say, if we're going to bring everything else back, is there a way we can, keep playing in this space where he's a dad, where he picks up a kid. I think, I don't know. I think I'd be curious to see what we would do with it now. Cause I think this whole thing where we get embarrassed about the history of our favorite franchises just seems silly. I'd rather we just embrace them. I think the self seriousness of the Gareth Edwards Godzilla was fun at times, but I don't want them all to be like grim, dark Batman movies. I I would love to see some of the camp like this, put back
0: in. And what's funny is you say the grimdark of Batman movies, but I would argue the majority of Batman movies haven't been.
1: Uh, That's true. I mean, you've got either Batnips or Adam West.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say here in a couple months, you may potentially see the whole Godzilla's father thing brought back up, but we'll get there when we get there. (laughs) So let's talk about everyone's favorite monster, Menya, right? Mm -hmm. Moist Menya. He just, he comes out of the egg and he's just wet and sticky. And I honestly like watching this again, I mean, cause this is honestly a film I, I will gladly put on just to watch. Um, I think to me, that is the only form of minya That's like disgusting. Right. Um, one of our, one of our listeners made a comment of, well, you know, no one, no babies are born. You know, that's kind of indicative of how babies are. I'm like, eh, as a parent, I'll disagree. Like, I've even kids who aren't my own. Like, I've seen cute babies. And I've also seen ones that are, yeah, very similar to Minya. So, I wouldn't say it's a hard and fast rule. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of when people think of Minya as gross or grotesque or disgusting. They just think of that first Minya with the embryonic fluids just all over his body. And I'm trying to obviously be as graphic as possible. Yeah, Um, crazy. But then once he, you know, gets his kind of more donkeyish face, like, he's cute. He's endearing, right? I mean.
1: Well, and that's the funny thing about it, because every time I've looked him up to, like, meme him or put him in my top five kaiju lists, even before I would seen it. Would he be in your top eight
0: it. on MySpace? Oh, gosh, yeah.
1: I okay. did have to remove Tom so I could put Minya in. That okay, hurt. good.
0: I just want to make sure. But what I, is Tom doing, though? sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I've, I've thought about that. Like, so Twitter, Liberty. we have Jack, right? And he yeah. always puts his foot in his mouth. But, like, uh-huh. I don't remember there ever being a negative thing about Tom.
1: That's true. And MySpace is still going.
0: Is it? Yeah. I knew it came back, but then it, like, it wasn't streets ahead. So it kind of no. went streets behind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but no i you can still I've still seen people link to it intentionally and not hmm. ironically,
0: yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just like, man no, tom, no, no. Tom is an enigma.
1: he really' Because it was the same profile picture the whole time, too,
0: yeah, like how did he do that yeah that I, that's, I that's what you call constantly. a lot of self will and determination, oh gosh, well <laughs> he
1: he was a prophet, he foresaw what would happen when he spoke on the internet.
0: Tom stood so he
1: decided not to mhm. But it's funny because, like, you know, I always laugh because when people share pictures of their newborns on Facebook, I'm like, "Ooh, that that one's fresh, isn't it? You just cleaned him off." Uh, and then sometimes <laughs> when they show you pictures of newborns, and you're like, "Ooh, could you not? That little, oh, uh, potato!" <laughs>
0: but, um, oh, my little spud,
1: my little spud. <laughs> but I'd never seen, I'd never seen Moist before. Mm-hmm. And so when the movie starts, I was like, oh, my God, what if I've been seeing? Yeah. Is this going to be the majority? <laughs> so, God, but I don't know for him to have the reputation of being moist mania seems unfair because I mean, I've looked. I have scoured the Internet for pictures of little guy and I've never seen that. So, it yeah, kind of cracked me up. Well, there's a reason for that. It is absolutely horrifying. Um, true. You don't call him moist mania because you like it.
0: No. So. Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of this idea. And maybe maybe there are people who don't like the actual Minya design, which is fine. I mean, to be honest, between Moist Minya and the actual Godzilla suit we have, there's, there's definitely some critiques that are valid, for sure. Um, I know there is an argument that, well, bad suit designs or whatever shouldn't make a movie bad. But then I also, like, on the one hand, I agree with that then I'm also kind of like, but it's still valid to not like those things either, right? Like, that is part of it. Um, But something I want to get into um, is I've seen the argument leveled towards this movie that Godzilla is a bad dad, right? So he stomps on Minya's tail in order to help him learn how to breathe fire. Um, He kind of like slaps him across the head. He drags him by the tail. Right. We talked about how technically it is the movie where he walks off and then he comes back just because it's cut doesn't mean that they filmed it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is this perception of Godzilla being a bit more abrasive than what is perceived to be normal for adults with their kids now. Um, Human adults, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And, like, on the one hand, I don't want to make light of people who actually, like, might find some connection there with their own upbringing, because, obviously, abusive parents are a very real thing. I Mm kind of have to wonder, like, at what point do we take that too far, right? Because Godzilla is not a human being. Like, I'm not a zoologist, but I have to imagine that the standards I have, that we have as human beings, can't just be transposed onto like wolves or lions or anything like that right so if Godzilla is a monster is it fair for me to say because as a dad I wouldn't do this therefore if Godzilla does it he's a bad dad and like I know that seems silly I'm not trying to be pedantic but I feel like there's a point where if we're discussing fictional movies we need to be able to make those distinctions right so we're not talking about a portrayal of an actual boy and his dad we're talking about Monsters, so mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Like how far should we take Godzilla's humanization? So to speak Before we realize that it's not one-to-one
1: right um, That actually reminds me of a tweet. I saw last night where the OP was Legitimately non ironically saying like we always blame bad dads, but what if the kid gives off bad vibes? and I so I was kind of thinking about it actually but Yeah, I think this is where you hit the weird, the balance has become weird now because he's, they've been trying to humanize Godzilla for a while, but at the core, he's still like an irradiated lizard, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But like, if if I watched a bird, like push its baby out of the nest, I wouldn't go, Oh God, look at that. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's what happens. Exactly. Like that's how you do it. So maybe maybe there's something that gets a little too close to home when you humanize him too badly or too much, like yeah, you wouldn't like slap a kid because he can't hit the t-ball, but um, we do like physically push them, like telling them they're dogging it when they're playing basketball. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very careful consideration, but I also I also wonder like not to excuse bad behavior. But if Godzilla's not really the dad, he's trying to figure it out. He just gets this baby dropped on his doorstep. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to suck. <laughs> he doesn't have those yeah. maternal instincts. So, but maybe yeah. he is. I guess I guess my question is, you you deconstruct Godzilla's parenting model. Which is fine if you want to do that. But, like, to what end? I mean, we're not going to... Godzilla's not going to read our reviews and go, "Oh crap, I've been a bad dad. I got to fix it." <laughs> like,
0: bad dad. <laughs> I yeah. guess I'm
1: just curious what the end goal of calling him a bad dad is—to
0: mm-hmm.
1: make and him I, look bad. He—he he is in fact a villain. Yeah, most of the time.
0: Yeah, like what what satisfaction are we getting from shaming a fictional monster? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But I, but I think you said something that's actually really important. So you there's think? two things. What you think? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I realized how horrible that sounded. Um, I, so I didn't think about this before. So, yes, I mean, you know, Godzilla, this is not his child. And that's really made clear in external sources. So, if you're watching this movie and you have no reference to that, you might actually think it is his, right? They don't really give you any indication that it's not. Even though I am confused, like, how could they tell it was a baby Godzilla when it was born? Like, I wouldn't look at that and be like, oh, baby Godzilla. Um,
1: right. It's like the first one they've seen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Allegedly. So something to think about is Godzilla was drawn to Minya's brainwaves, right? That's what we see—the interference and all the different, you know, radio signals and all that. So there was that, uh, you know, that parental drive there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; this is not his kid. And I think about myself. So this is like a complete moment of vulnerability that I don't think I've done on a podcast before so when we had Jasper you know we had a fairly normal delivery process and all that Um, but they didn't go over what is now known as purple crying right just this idea that like kids crying 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 sometimes you just need to set the kid down and walk away Um, you know you hear about don't shake a baby right and in your head you're like well why would I shake a baby who would shake a baby I almost shook Jasper. Like, I'm not a violent person at all. But there there was one night where I don't remember what it was. And I was just, I was so frustrated. And I didn't have the clarity to put him down. And I almost found myself shaking him. Because I was so frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. I would like to say I'm a good dad. I would like to say that. But I had that moment where I almost made a very serious and bad decision. So, when I, you're right. Like, you, you have Godzilla. As being thrust into this position of not wanting to be a well, not necessarily wanting to be a parent, but I don't think he's planning on it, right? And now mm-hmm. he's trying to figure this out. He doesn't have a village to help him. He just has his evolutionary instincts to try to guide him. Mm-hmm. So I say all of that because again, I I feel like there's just this point for more niche fandoms like Godzilla, where sometimes. I think fans struggle to separate fiction from reality, mm-hmm. right? So, we are discussing a fictional movie and we are discussing s- serious tones, but I know at the end of the day, when that movie is over, I am back in the real world and I have to process this. Like, I can use these movies as a tool to process things, mm-hmm. but if I don't know how to process things without these movies, like, I think that needs to be discussed, right? We see people where, you know, when the coronavirus hit or when we see, you know, world catastrophes, fans will continually make correlations of like, oh, I wonder if that's Godzilla and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't think we realize the danger of not being able to view the world outside of this lens. Mm-hmm. So with Godzilla being a bad dad, I'm, I'm curious how much we're projecting our own experiences onto this movie and not realizing like that's not necessarily the healthiest thing to do. Am I being too uncharitable there?
1: There, there does. Uh, so I don't know if this is exactly what you're going for. So I might, I might be in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a difference between like personal triggers
0: mm-hmm.
1: and oh, that's what a bad dad looks like. So if you're watching this and it triggers feelings of abuse or triggers like. Parental dysfunction. I would say, like, that's not what we're talking about. Exactly. Like, that's like totally legitimate. And maybe even if you were haven't seen this movie, or you know, some of your friends struggle with it, you might want to do a quick little content warning on that, just to be like, hey, just just so you know, this happens a little bit. It's kind of slapstick, but even like delivery still does not trump and doesn't trump what you feel. So even if it is slapsticky. If that was your experience, of course you're going to feel that anyway. Yeah. So it might be worth re- referencing that. But like, there is something to say. Like, if you if it's not a triggering thing, you're just trying to score points by knocking Godzilla down. That's when I'm like, well, what do you gain from this? Yeah. Like, there's there's like legitimate like, I don't know. And I'm I'm forming this thought as I'm talking, which is not usually how I operate. But like, we've seen recently a bunch of episodes from like 30 rock and scrubs. And apparently even this morning community have now been scrubbed from streaming services and because of content, I, d- I don't know. Like this one doesn't seem like the same, like scrub it because of content. No, this just seems like we have to, you know, this is a, this is a monster who was thrust in a position. He doesn't like, he's been mostly a villain his whole life. He stands for the after effects of atomic violence, he's not going to be a great, great dad.
0: Yeah, so. he's dealing with trauma himself, right? Yeah, and you I know? mean,
1: that's, if there's anything there, like, of course, this probably is not what the movie makers were going to say, but, like, there is that generational trauma that's passed down and
0: mm-hmm.
1: hurt people, hurt people, hurt yeah. kaiju, hurt kaiju. Like, so, yeah, there is some of that. So, just, yeah. you know, it's not an excuse, but there's uh, explanations.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think again, my, my point is that it's not invalid to look at that film and be like, as a parent, these are not proper parenting techniques, right? Yeah, that's (laughs) absolutely valid. Or if you had gone through those things to be like, man, like I can relate to that in a way maybe you wouldn't care to admit, Mm -hmm. but to project external standards onto so this, so honestly, like I think this is a really important discussion in regards to like, um, with like race and with uh, just uh, ethics and morals in general. I struggle as a Christian with how do I tell people who are not a Christian to live a certain way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because do I believe that the gospel is for everybody? Absolutely, but I don't believe the gospel is repent or perish. I believe the gospel is Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God is here. You know, there's this litany of things that we could discuss. So is it fair for me to look at someone who is not a Christian living a certain way and want to hold them to a standard that they aren't striving to live to? Mm -hmm. In a certain way, like, I don't feel like I'm supposed to, right? Yes, there is a spirit that is in this world that calls us all to repentance. But is it my job to say this person should live the way I am if we have two complete worldviews. So when I look at Godzilla, again, he's a monster. He's not a human being. So is it fair for me to say that he should have certain parenting techniques that I would do? No.
1: Yeah, and especially like when you bring in, when we have conversations about race and diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. and desegregation, we're going to constantly come in contact with cultures that are unlike our own societies that are unlike our own, like, you know, in the past 50 years is discussions on, I I can't remember. I don't want to use the word third world. I don't want to use developing countries, Uh but like in that framework, I really, truly don't like these, but like, you know, as the first world was interacting more with the third world and you can't see my air quotes, but um, you know, we had to constantly get over like parents don't like or parents parent differently in different cultures Mm. in ways that aren't abusive, that aren't harmful, that just aren't Western. Yeah. And so we had to spend a lot of time as the world becomes more globalized, getting over that. But now we're going to come to see like, Oh, my black neighbors might raise their kids differently again in non abusive and non harmful ways, but in ways that are different Mm -hmm. or like some might look at us to see like, Oh, how long do you make your kid practice the violin every morning? Like hours. And they don't want it. Like, like, that, you know, we get so blind to the ways that we do bad. We have bad cultural practices that we've just given a pass.
0: Yeah, we've normalized
1: so, it. Or yeah, but even like I'm thinking like in terms of Christianity, I don't remember the author's name. So we can put that in the show notes maybe. But there's this great book that came out uh, recently called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the First Nations response when they they would call themselves Christians but as you see the integration of first nation symbolism and Christian symbolism come together, and then you have Western Christians say like, no perch that that's that's syncretism. There's no good in your culture. Yeah. The only good culture is Christian culture. Like we see that all the time where we have to kind of say like, Hey, we can like have discussions. We can have these uh, value. I don't want to say comparisons, but we can put them in conversation and we got to be able to say like, Oh, that's not mine, but it may not be bad. I wouldn't kick my kid out of the nest to see if they could fly because that's not how they fly.
0: Yeah. So, side note, it's uh, Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys, a Native American Expression of the Jesus Way by Richard Twiss. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's exactly what I'm thinking. So, like again, it's 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 taking this idea of what I perceive to be right and projecting or holding someone to a standard that they may not be asking to do. So Mm -hmm. I think about how in the Western church, we have, I mean, really, the the Western church is very centralized in our whiteness, right? So, I mean, I I say that because, you know, we, the typical Protestant Christianity has its roots back to the Protestant Reformation, and that's about it. Whereas you Mm -hmm. and I have discussed you know, the, the roots of Christianity are not only Jewish, but Asian and African as well. Mm-hmm. So the early church fathers, a lot of them were African or Asian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at a lot of the longest running church traditions like the Coptics and, you know, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, like they're very clearly not white. And mm-hmm. you look at, you know, the the largely charismatic and Pentecostal movements within, you know, the Southern Hemisphere down south. Mm-hmm. South America and Africa and all these expressions of Christianity that are far from being typical white evangelical churches. And who am I to say, well, your church doesn't, you know, your church service doesn't look like mine. You know, you don't worship the same way I do. Therefore, I'm going to try to I think you're right. It's referred to as like syncretism, right? This melding of culture with faith, not acknowledging that American evangelicalism is, like, the best example of what that looks like, right? I mean, there's... But it's
1: white, so it's default, we say. Yeah.
0: We just, we don't know how to separate our culture from our religion. We really don't. yeah. You know, when we we have, you know, the the idea of, in God we trust is ingrained into our government itself. I mean, I don't even necessarily think that's a good thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're we're using the name of God in such profane and crass ways. Um, mm-hmm. So 20 minutes later, my point being, yeah, if, if you think Godzilla's a bad dad, that's fine. But I think it's an unfair reading of the movie when we can't make a distinction between human parental values and a giant irradiated dinosaur, right? Like, yeah. we should be able to make those distinctions when we watch a film.
1: Yeah, and... You know, to bring it to a lighter note, if there's anything that I want to talk about, this whole parenthood aspect, it's like if Godzilla was like originally like a dinosaur who got like maybe superpowers from radiation, but is born and he has all of this stuff from birth, where's the science?
0: Well, you could argue that because, you know, the Kamakuras got irradiated through the testing. I mean, who knows what Minya would have looked like in the egg before the mm. test went off?
1: That was a good answer. I was being a little more tongue-in-cheek.
0: Oh, I know. But but I was already <laughs> thinking it.
1: That's funny. You just happen to get the exact same superpowers.
0: Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, let's be honest. It's just kind of... <laughs> I, w- I would like a Godzilla movie where the science logic doesn't just whiff out the window. Um <laughs> If anyone gets that reference, please message me. So let's get on to the next topic, the one I'm actually not actually excited for, but something that kind of hit me the other night is this movie is a great vehicle to discuss the topic of creation, care, and eschatology. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we've really got into eschatology much on this podcast yet, even though it's like really important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But Chris, like how would you define eschatology for yourself?
1: Yeah. So really anytime that you'd hear it from most evangelical Christians, they're talking about the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like eschatology. I mean, the word, when you break it down means it's ology plus eschaton. So the last, like the study of the end. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like this ever since the 1900s, like 1908 with the Schofield Bible, but since the nineties with, the Left Behind series, it's become like how God's going to end the world and we're going to like sneak out just in time. But I think like eschatology, when you, a more healthy view of eschatology is just like living now informed by what we think is going to happen in the future, living now in light of where we know where we're going. Mm -hmm. So even like, so like for a lot of like Christians, the fundamentalists, eschatology is living in light of the coming rapture. Where screw the world, God's gonna burn it, and I'm gonna be gone. For a lot of maybe more progressive or even just non fundamentalist eschatology, is knowing Jesus is coming back. So I'm gonna live in light of that. Like, because he's coming, I'm gonna live differently. I'm gonna tell people about him. And there's even like, you could talk about secular eschatologies that says, like, right now, the end of the world looks like it's gonna be global warming. So in light of that future, I'm gonna live this way with sustainability veganism, with recycling. So we all have eschatologies, just like we all have worldviews and all have religious views.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I would say there's almost another extreme too. Um, So I was going through N.T. Wright's Surprised by Scripture, and he talks about two extremes when it comes to eschatology. Um, You have the Gnosticism, which you were discussing with this left-behind Nikolai Carpathian view that if you suppose that the present world of space, time, and matter is a thoroughly bad thing, then the task is to escape from this world and enable as many others to do so as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So we see that in the way that evangelicals evangelizes. You know, you want to get as many people to believe the gospel as possible so we can get out of here, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have another extreme of being so impressed with the presence and activity of God in the present world that they have supposed God wants simply to go on working as it is as it so this idea that you know we just need to keep doing what we're doing to perfect the world to get to the point that God has in mind mm-hmm. right so it's there's there's these two extremes here um, and the reason we bring that up is because in this film we see a very real dilemma of well if we don't do something to take care of the the, the food supply the world's going to end right? Mm -hmm. So what responsibility do we as Christians have with very real problems in the world, whether it's the, you know, COVID-19, whether it's global warming, food supply, um, you know, do we just, well, the world's going to end anyway, do we give up? Or do we, you know, well, this God has tasked us to solve this problem, therefore we need to do throw everything we can towards it. And unfortunately, you know, we're talking about culture and religion and this marriage. I mean, we see that in the way that the religious right has determined policies because with oil and fracking and everything else, I mean, who has led the charge for that? It's been conservative evangelicals who have had little to no qualms with, well, let's just rape and pillage the earth Mm -hmm. for what we need now, not considering what ramifications we have down the road right? Because, well, the world's going to burn anyway. So what does it matter? And I would argue that's not a Christian view of the world uh, of, I guess, a Christian, a proper Christian eschatological view. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess kind of like, where would you say that balance is like for Christians? Because you know we see in Romans 8 you know we know that the entire creation is groaning together and going through labor pains together up until the present time right so mm-hmm. creation obviously is not as it should be but it doesn't mean that creation is bad god made the earth and yes it did you know we see sin entering through through adam and eve but god didn't suddenly say creation is bad. It's just, it's marred. It's it's um, It needs to be restored, right? When Jesus says he's returning, it's not, we're not going to heaven. He's bringing heaven to earth. It's a new heaven, a new earth, but Jesus is coming back and bringing his reign here for restoration. So as Christians, what would you say if you were in this situation in this movie, yeah. what would you say the proper eschatological view would be?
1: Right. So I think, and this is just my read, but the, when, when you look at this movie, I think it kind of matches the fundy evangelical view, the one that like, so in Genesis, right? God Mm -hmm. says that the Adam man has dominion over the world. And a lot of people today have taken dominion to mean what you've said to pillage, to use, um, to frack, to find oil, Instead of like seeking natural resources, like we don't need to use renewable energy sources because we have dominion over the planet. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me the same with the scientists who see this problem of world hunger and think we can change the planet to what we need to do. So they take this ownership and then you create instead Minya and the giant praying mantises. Like I think, I think when we want to respond to uh, ecological Mm -hmm. issues, we want to see them in light of like, what's what's really the actual problem that's causing this? Because, you know, I'm going to spoil. Have you finished God in the pandemic yet? No, I haven't even started. Okay, so I won't spoil too much. But right, we'll later talk about Romans 8. When you look in the Greek, it says God cooperates with man to bring about the good. So we want to be working with nature, working with God to bring about the actual solutions. And I think part of that is say like accurately naming problems. Mm -hmm. So like for, in this movie was the, is world hunger a problem because there's not enough food or is world hunger a problem because of global capitalism, the hoarding of wealth, the hoarding of resources. Yeah. Does, do we need to radiate food to make it like bigger or do we need to actually just create a fair and equitable supply chain of food that makes its way down through the entirety of different channels to get to the people who need it. And of course we've both been re- reading on social justice and he frequently talks about like, like St. Basil for those. yeah who St. Basil, Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. talks about resources becoming stagnant, like water and starting to smell. And what we need to do is keep those resources moving. So when we talk about our r- relation to natural crises, Is it that we don't have enough dominion that we need to stake a claim in like controlling nature? Or does nature maybe have ways designed by God to supply these needs and we just need to be better cooperating agents with it? And I think it's more the latter that we're called to.
0: Well, it it almost has something to say about a lack of proper stewardship, right? So with the idea of dominion on the earth, so in the ancient Near East being you know, like Mesopotamian and Babylonian cultures, um, for those who aren't familiar with that term. So cultures that were you know, present at the same time as the, the Israelites. So we, we see this idea of Adam and Eve being the icons of God, right? Mm-hmm. They're made in the image of God, but they're the icons in the sense that when you went to a temple, you would see imagery of the God and when you looked at that icon, that was as if you were seeing God himself. It was to display his glory and his presence and his identity into the world. So when Adam and Eve were made as icons, it was meant to be not dominion in the sense of, again, pillaging and raping and abusing and oppressing these resources, but to properly steward and utilize these things in order to, be, to have a a a, a concurrent or concurrent vision with God and how creation should be Mm -hmm. used. Right. So yeah, not autonomous authority, but
1: cooperative stewardship.
0: Exactly. So I think about when, you know, God put Joseph into power in Egypt, you know, he was the one that, you know, helped, you know, not only um, interpret Pharaoh's uh, dreams, but you see Pharaoh being willing to sell resources and food to, Starving and hungering um, nations, right? You know, you think about Proverbs 11, 26, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of who of him who sells it. And that's mm. why you know we see the the Israelites and the Egyptians able to live, you know, harmoniously until the new pharaoh forgets of Joseph and the previous pharaoh. And what happens at that point when they forget of the pharaoh's generosity and is willing to be a good steward, that pharaoh now becomes a slave master. He oppresses the Israelites, right? So you see mm. stewardship being in line with oppression. And mm. I th- I think about, you know, these, these scientists, the United Nations wanted to take the Sahara and all these so-called unfertile lands and turn them into what was called fertile. But who are they to be judges of what is fertile or not? Were those ecosystems and everything not there for a proper reason, Mm -hmm. right? So I think about, we view things, they're like, well, these places are unfertile. Well, God is the one who says what is fertile and unfertile. Like, you look at Sarah. She was Mm -hmm. not fertile, but the Lord said, you will have a child. What did they do? They laughed, right? And then we see Isaac. So I just, I see a lot of, like, not, you know, as David Collatt puts, in Western films, the scientists are typically viewed as madmen, right, or mad Mm. scientists, and You know, but in this situation, I mean, I don't think the science is necessarily bad, but I feel like it's misguided. It's unfounded on, you know, trying to, this is trying to play God and being Mm -hmm. like, well, we need to do this in order for society to survive. But obviously as a Christian, I believe, you know, Matthew 6, you know, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat Mm -hmm. or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, you know? the Lord knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of His God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, don't worry about tomorrow, which obviously is very hard in a COVID-19 world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just, I resonate with the idea of, I think it was, was it Luther or Calvin that said, um, Jesus is coming, so plant a tree, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that just because we're going to see heaven and earth cohabitate the same space one day doesn't mean that we don't take care of what we have now.
1: Yeah, right. Well, essentially, like your point about how stewardship fosters community, you know, maybe we can make explicit the antithesis that certain uh, abuses of capitalism bring about division, mm-hmm. as we've seen like frequently, especially out in the Chicagoland area, the economic economic choices of affluent communities have created many problems for the impoverished communities they leave behind. But especially thinking like there's something about like why we have Saharan deserts, why we have seemingly unfertile places and fertile places. Like that's how I don't know much about biomes, but like, it seems like we need all of these different types of biodiversity to foster life in a really good way. So whatever we don't see in a desert food wise, there's, there's purposes there. There's something Mm -hmm. going on there that is beyond what we can think. So I'm with you. I think the one thing that kind of shocks me about this movie is that this is, I just thought this was like Godzilla and sons fun, campy adventure on an (laughs) Island. I didn't realize that this was like kind of started with a similar but it's funny because, like, the MCU is totally built on social issues. Mm-hmm. Like, think about, like, I think it's the first Avengers movie that is, like, about renewable energy and how Tony's moving to, like, have all of this renewable energy. And the, the conflict of the MCU is always, like, status quo, protecting hero versus villain with the right idea, but apparently the wrong ways of going about it. So... It is funny though that *Son of Godzilla*, for as derided as it can be, it does start with a pretty big question. Well, what the heck do we do about the global food shortages? Yep. And then you know what it turns into is a different question.
0: But absolutely. And and I think you know the the question we would like to pose to our listeners, and we'd love to have that conversation with you, is you know if you consider yourself a Christian, like how do you balance that, right? Because, you know, we see that right now with the idea of racial justice and racial equity is, you know, in Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, you know, he talks about how the church has often stood in the way of racial racial justice and racial equity, right? And that should not be the case. But there's a certain point too where I think Christians can, you know, have this I, this false idea of utopia, expecting perfection in the world without realizing that ultimately God is the one who's going to bring justice, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it says that vengeance is mine and mine alone. So we can strive to almost want so much justice that, we that we're that we almost taking things out of God's hand. So, you know, when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to resources, when it comes to this world itself, where is that healthy balance of remembering that what we perceive now is just a shadow of what's to come? Right. You know, all these things will fade away. Um, You know, we said in a previous episode, you know, uh, (laughs) I was born, I was formed from dust and to dust I shall return. Right. But then there's also that idea of, well, what happens now also matters. We can't just assume that because there is a eternity waiting for us that like what's happening now will reverberate throughout eternity as well. Yes, God is on the throne, you know God will make all things right, but that doesn't give us an excuse to let injustices fly in the name of you know left behindism so I think it, it's it's a hard balance it it really is i don't i I don't think I've ever really seen anyone make because there's there's so many different topics this bleeds into, right so it's mm-hmm. not just um an easy answer. But I think this goes into our final topic of what we want to discuss is, you know, what do we owe to each other? Because I Mm -hmm. think that's something that plays into that as well is, you know, if, if there is no eternity, does it really matter what we do now? Right? Right. Because, you know, if, if we're just going to die and cease to exist, does my injustice now matter if there's no real eternal ramifications for it? But on the other hand, we can't just assume that, you know. What I don't know. Does that make sense? So I, I think yeah. you know we have to kind of parse that out a little bit. Where in this film we see a a very clear several instances of inclusion and adoption in this film, mm-hmm. um, more so than just Godzilla and Minya. Um, so before we get into that, that the the phrase "What do we owe to each other?" If that sounds familiar. Uh, It's actually a book by a philosopher named Tim Scanlon, um, who was actually, his ideas of contractualism were quite prominent um, in that book itself in the uh, show. It's a little show called The Good Place. and You may have heard of it. You may have heard of it. And it's actually the title of episode six of season one. Um, so I'm not going to obviously get any spoilers of later seasons or the the, summary, uh, the, the finale of that season if you've never watched the show. But the main character, Eleanor Shellstrop, has promised to help Michael, who is the architect of the afterlife that she's in, um, find the problem of why the neighborhood's falling apart, right? The thing is, she knows she's the problem, but she has promised to help him, so she's struggling to do the right thing here right? It's this idea of, you know, the, I I would kind of say a very crude definition of contractualism is, if a community has agreed to uphold a certain set of ideals, that we must act in accordance to those ideals in a way that no one would disagree with said choice. So what we see in Son of Godzilla is when Goro lands on the island, he's welcomed into this community as long as as he helps carry the load, right? So now he's going to start cooking, now he's going to start helping with the scientific, um, the the research and the projects, and you know his inclusion ends up being invaluable because, as we've as we've indicated, they didn't do a very good job of researching and surveying the island. So he discovers Seiko, and her resourcefulness saves the day several times. Whether it's the water, you know, the water and the fever, knowing how to defeat Kamanga, um, so we 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 see that. They're um, both uh, Goro and Seiko are welcomed into the community. You know, Seiko herself is an orphan, right? Her mother died at birth. Mm-hmm. Her father died on the island. Now she has a home within this research group. So I think it's interesting. Again, we could talk about Godzilla and Menya, but we already had. But just this idea of like, what do we owe to each other? Because mm-hmm. some of these scientists were like, well, let's just send him packing. They're like, well, what are we going to do? Like have him swim? No, he's, he's going to stay with us, but he's going to help. Right. And that's that's part of a community is what, you know, even Paul says, if you're going to if you're going to earn your wages, you have to work. Right. That's part of being in a community is doing your work. But if you're going to be a part of community, you have an obligation to serve and help others as well.
1: Yeah, that's not a that's not a capitalist. You have to be productive to have value Mm -hmm. statement. That's a community is built on mutual submission and mutual working together for the good, the good of the community. So what we're not saying is you have to produce to be valuable. We're not saying that you have to be X, you have to do X amount to be considered a human being, Mm -hmm. but we're just saying like if true community is built on being there for each other, building and loving one another that way, instead of just being like a mooch really.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. I think of a an old co-worker of mine, um, you know, she was stuck in a relationship, um, her and this guy, you know, they had a couple kids together and she was working full time as a hairstylist and just busting her butt while her boyfriend was at home playing poker. That's mm-hmm. all he did. And the money that she would make would go towards his gambling habits. Now you could say, why didn't she do anything about that, but obviously he's the father of her kids. There's there's this feeling of like, she feels like she owes him something, right? We're talking Mm -hmm. about what do we owe to each other, but he wasn't upholding his part of that contractualism, right? This Mm -hmm. idea that what he's doing was not good for the family or her. Um, So I think there's this element of, again, yeah, we're not what we produce, but when we are part of a community, we are, there is a certain sense of obligation that we need to help and serve others and in a marriage, it's not, you know, we, we see in Christian circles, this idea that the man is the head of the household and, you know, the woman should just be cleaning and doing all this stuff. Like, yes, like in our family, I am the one who's working and my wife is the one with, you know, home with the kids, but we agreed on that. Like we sat down Mm -hmm. and we talked about that and that's what we wanted to do. So we have made that contract in our marriage of, I will work and she will help with the kids at home. But if it ever got to the point where she was like I want to start working again, we would re- you know, redo the contract mm-hmm. and figure out what it would be and you know, we we would make that work. But like because we agreed to that, I have to go to work and bust my butt and sell as many cars as I can to uphold my part of the contract and she's at home taking care of our kids and making sure that, you know, that part of our family is you know she's she's an amazing mother. So you know she's doing that part to uphold. You know it, it's mm-hmm. just this. You can't be in a community and not work alongside others and help others. Otherwise, that's a dysfunctional community.
1: Right. And I think I think well, just just to be clear in case anyone's listening and got the heard the wrong part. In no world is Jesus mad if the woman works. Oh and no, the not at all. Man stays home. <laughs> like if. It, 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 I felt like we should just clarify that because people are going to tell you differently, but he's not, but like, you know, I think we feel this like, you know, the new Testament all the time talks about mutuality. Mm-hmm. Like we can say like the one another statements where what what we do for one another, but like, it seems even ingrained in us as humans, right? When you see someone doing chores and you can't just sit, you feel like you have to be like, you have to help them out with those chores. Like you hate watching people do them alone. Yep. So I think we know deep down that we we can't just like, we do work with and for one another in those
0: ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we see with Goro, right? He's willing to go and start cooking, even if he is using the laundry basket as a way to hydrate the the vegetables. Right? Yeah. I love that. Like the special <laughs> seasoning. Um, but there's no no real squabbling about that. That's just an understood idea that if you're going to be a part of a community, if you're going to be brought in, there is an element of you having to help with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout The Good Place, we see that as well of a community that is self-forming, but they're continually finding ways to take care of each other. And Eleanor, even being the very selfish person she is, continually is finding ways where like in that episode, before we even see any real character development, she realizes that, like, I'm the, I'm the problem here. I'm willing to give myself up to, mm-hmm. to fix this. Of course, Michael says, you know, the problem is me, and we realize why down the road. But if he wouldn't have said anything, like, I think she really would have done something, right? And that mm-hmm. she realizes, like, these people are suffering and hurting because of my actions, or that's what she perceives to be the case. And she's like, I owe it to these people, to end their suffering, Mm -hmm. right? So I just, I think it's interesting, again, you know, we're talking about a movie where Godzilla adopts a child that is not his and learns how to parent and learns how to take care of Minya, but in the same way, we see human characters kind of doing the same thing, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's like, we have, before we welcomed you, like, they have no obligation. Well, you would argue maybe they don't have an obligation to do anything for Goro or Seiko, but as human beings do we not have an obligation to take care of our brother and sister right is that not what jesus says on the sermon of the mount you know like you know love those who who persecute you so if we're called to love our enemies how much more are we called to love people who are in need how much more mm-hmm. are we called to love people you know who 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 are crying out for in pain you know like we look at what's going on with the black lives matter movement and I see so many Christians were like, well, this isn't my problem, right? I haven't owned slaves. I haven't done this and that. The problem is you have brothers and sisters who are crying out for pain, who want help, who are, are, are continually being weighed down by, a, by systems who don't give a flip about you know their well-being. And they're just asking for help. And we're sitting mm-hmm. here saying, well, it's not my problem. The crux of the Christian message is that it is. God heard the cries of his people crying out, you know, because sin is oppression, right? Sin is bondage. Sin is death. He heard the cries of his people, and he was willing to take that pain and oppression and sin upon himself, even though it was not his fault and his responsibility and his, His he took it on so we could have freedom. How much mm-hmm. more are we called as Christians when we see our brothers and sisters crying out in pain and willing to bear that cross, Right. Wasn't it Simon, you know, Jesus is carrying the cross. It wasn't Simon's responsibility to carry, that, you know, the, the carry the cross for Jesus, but he did it anyway. It was not Jesus's responsibility to take Barabbas's death, but he did it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what we owe to each other is the fact that we are called to bear one another's burdens. And this movie does a phenomenal job of demonstrating that, even yeah. if it isn't explicit. I agree. Let's stand <laughs> um, so yeah, i I think it's funny. A lot of people just kind of write this movie off, and I had more fun thinking about this movie than I have probably for the last few up. Uh, well, I wouldn't say I yeah. had fun thinking about Frankenstein. That was a pretty heavy movie, but you know what I mean? Yeah. like it was it was surprising to me, I feel like, how much we were able to get out of this.
1: Yeah, and I'll just make one last quick point. Um, with my eye on the time, um, how many Trinitarian themes are in this movie. Hmm. You know, there are three people who play Godzilla, just as there are three persons in the Trinity. Uh, you know, this does deal with father and son, Godzilla the father, and Minya the son. And even you earlier called Jun Fukuda the Holy Spirit. So there's just so many Trinitarian themes just w- build into this. So when Godzilla steps on Minya's tail, that's the paracreatic dance that the patristics talk about in the life of the Trinity.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit of a stretch, but anyway, (laughs) yeah, I, uh, I had fun discussing this movie. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if I would, we, we, we would love to hear your thoughts about, uh, if you disagreed with us, agreed with us, if you think, uh, Maybe we need to lay off the recreational drugs a little bit. Um, let us know what you think. Or lay on, <laughs> Yeah, actually, maybe we do need uh, need to do a little bit more. No, okay, but kidding. You know, it's funny,
1: though. You talk, about, you talk about this one being more fun to think about and have more to talk about. You know, we frequently said in the past, like, oh, this is a bad movie. There's nothing to discuss. And then it's our longest episode. Yeah. Oh, this was a good movie. There's nothing to discuss. It's a long episode. This one's like... People say this is a bad movie, but there's a ton to discuss. Yeah. And it's a long I mean, it's it's funny that like, if you'd asked me before, which ones would have little to talk about, I would put this right, right on top. Mm -hmm. But I think we both kind of are like, wow, there's a lot we still haven't said that could be maybe not an entire second episode, but no, maybe even a second episode.
0: No, (laughs) not that. If
1: you're listening and you don't like this movie, we're not doing this one again. So you don't have to skip two weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Speaking of next week, um, movie we're discussing next week is King Kong escapes. King Kong escapes his first release date, his second release date
1: and the year 2020. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, That's a good one. Um, but we will have a, a special guest on for that. So that should be fun. Um, Not King Kong. It is not King Kong. escaped our schedule. (laughs) Anyway, before we we close out the episode, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Jay. So we've answered some of his questions, quoted uh, some of his tweets on here, Jay St. G. Um, So he just started a YouTube channel called Nerd Cage Live. Um, I haven't been able to listen to it yet, but as someone who's been a very vocal supporter of the show, I just felt obligated to give him a shout out. So if you're needing a new show to listen to, uh, make sure to look him up on YouTube. Um, Yeah, I just, uh, I figure might as well share the love there. Um, But again, thank you. What's up? We could write him a theme song
1: and coming out of our nerd cage and we're doing just fine. Okay.
0: Anyway, thank you again, everyone, (laughs) for tuning into the Kaiju Apostle podcast. If you like what you heard, uh, have a comment you'd like to share. Or again, if you think we're just high, Ah, uh, let us know over on our Twitter or Instagram pages, um, which, to be honest, I'm not even really on Instagram much these days. Uh, but our handle for both is Kaiju Apostle Pod, uh, or you can email at us at contact at the kaijuapostle um, You can also follow Chris on Twitter at chris worms, and this is our chance for you to tell us which uh, uh, Sentai you're watching.
1: I am just about on Kaku Ranger. Okay. But I ordered the Birth of Ultraman Mm Blu-ray. Have you heard about that? Yeah, yeah. It has like six or seven episodes. Yep. So I'll probably be kind of in that world for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Ultraman's interesting. I I haven't really been able to finish the first series yet, but Jasper and I started watching Ultraman Z. I've had a lot of fun, right? Yeah. I've had a lot of fun with that. I'm actually pretty surprised. Um, so yeah, if you want to talk Sentai with him or even Ultraman, cause now he's going to be watching a few of those episodes, make sure to follow him there on Twitter. Um, and lastly, you know, reviews are awesome. Uh, if you leave us one, you know, we'd be happy to read it, but ultimately, you know, having those ratings help us rank better, um, on search engines. Cause people do go on, they're trying to find Kaiju podcasts. Maybe they're not on Twitter, right? So any of those reviews do go a long way, but ultimately, you know, if you're listening to this, just hit us up. Let's talk. You know, we're not doing this podcast for our own sake. We'd love to keep this conversation going. But until next time, I think we still need to find a way to end the show consistently. So, if you Can have
1: still another podcast,
0: yeah, I don't should have come prepared. Um,
1: oh, oh. oh. For the Bam listeners. till next time, kiss your dad, Godzilla straight on the lips.
0: And I realized we didn't pour one out, so we can do that. Oh, like, no. I'll do it at the end of the episode. Um, okay, so really quick, let's go ahead and pour one out. Uh, for mine, there weren't really a lot of dust, but I thought the whole, like, Kamikurus where his his arm goes flying off in a big, fiery fireball, that mm. was pretty neat. That was a cool little effect there. Is that what yeah, you are going to do?
1: I was going to de- say either the one destroyed by the atomic breath or... Um, Godzilla's parenting when he gets child services called on him. Yeah. <laughs>